So last Sunday I spoke about the sin and about cross and about salvation. And um, this week I want to talk about the resurrection. And uh, we're going to have a look in Mark chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And I'm going to read from verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But please follow on in whatever version you've got. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now it's interesting in the, in the preceding verses in chapter 15, uh, Mark makes the point that Jesus had really died. And when you have a look at some of the other gospel accounts, you see how they all differ. They, they differ slightly. They all agree that Jesus died. There's no doubt about that. But what I found was interesting with, was that Matthew, for example, tells the story about what was going on behind the scenes. There was a, a lot of skullduggery going on. They were trying to make sure that no one could come and steal the body away from the tomb and then make believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Matthew's the only one who tells that story. The others don't include that. But it was very interesting that this point was made. The leaders of the Jews thought that Jesus was dead. They saw him crucified. And just in case they appointed a temple guard and they sealed the tomb to make sure that no one would come and snatch the body. Also, the centurion who was actually watching Jesus on the cross, and centurions were experts at death. Would you agree? They, they know all about death. They, he was standing there and he confirmed death, Jesus' death to Pilate. So he went to Pilate and reported, this man is dead. And Pilate, being the governor, had to certify the death. So there was a lot going on to make sure that Jesus was dead. And of course, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a, he was a senior man amongst the Jewish leadership. And he was a respected man. And he took the body from Pilate and he sealed it in the tomb. So Ju Joseph of Arimathea also knew he was dead. And then lastly, we have Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. They watched Jesus' body being sealed in that tomb. The Jewish leaders all effectively certified him dead and buried. They thought there'd be no more nonsense from his followers. They were wrong. They were wrong. That's why we're sitting here today. They didn't know there is no tomb on earth strong enough to hold 
the imprisoned Christ, the crucified Christ. There's no tomb. They thought that once Jesus was dead, his followers would drift away. But that's not what happened, you see. The power of the age to come came rushing into this present age and set Jesus free from that tomb. Now this stone, Mark says, was a very large stone. And Mark doesn't tell us who actually moved the stone. Matthew says it was an angel came down from God and moved the stone. But we know that no one man could have moved it because the lady said, you know, this is a very large stone. We are going to have to get help to move it. But it's Paul who actually gives us the secret here. In Romans 6 verse 4, Paul tells us that it was the glory of the Father that resurrected the Son, Jesus. And we suddenly realize it's the same glory that Moses had on him when he came down the mountain. It's the same glory that transfigured Jesus when he was with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we remember what happened when those guys came down the mountain. They were glowing so much that people were terrified. That's the power. That is the glory that raised Jesus from the dead. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, he brought eternal life into this present age. You hear what I'm saying? It's a, it's, a, it's a metaphor, but it's like he brought eternal life and he said, here, it's been released to you guys. All who believes in Jesus will experience the same. So in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus had said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. So in a spiritual sense, Jesus was saying that we have to go to a cross. Now, we, don't, we obviously don't go to the cross physically, but it does mean that we give up our rights to our rights. Would you agree with me? We give up our rights to our rights. The world is full of human rights today. You think I'm right? <laughs> but our only desire as Christians is to know him and to preach him and to preach him crucified. So we begin to decrease, and he must increase in our lives. Isn't that right? So just as there's no tomb on earth strong enough to hold the crucified Christ, there is no tomb on earth that can imprison a crucified self. Do you hear that? If you've been crucified, if your self has been crucified, there's nothing that can hold you back. Nothing at all. If you're in Christ today, it not only means that you've been crucified with Christ, but you have also risen with him. John 8 verse 36, Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is forward-looking life, beloved. This is forward-looking life. Christians are forward-looking people. We're meant to be. And you can feel free to say amen if you want to, if you agree with me. But you know what? This isn't the case for lots of Christians. Many of us want to change. We want to become more disciplined. We, we want to walk in freedom and victory. But at the same time, we struggle with what the Bible calls the flesh. 
I mean, why does it seem so easy for some believers to overcome and to walk by faith and, and to hear God's voice, and yet we see a whole lot of others that really just seem to go through life struggling? There seems to be a huge gap between God's divine promises and our human experience. Do you know what I mean by that? So it can be boiled down to, let's say, a single question. If I am who God says I am, why don't I act like it? Hmm? So if I am, why don't I? Surely if I'm born again, it should be easy for me to resist all the temptations that come at me from everywhere. And I'm not just talking about the serious things. Most of us are not going to go out there and murder somebody. Hopefully. And, and most of us are not going to go out there and steal from people. Well, we might steal sweets from shops and stationery from our employers. Christians also do that, yeah. But some of those everyday challenges, you know, these things that the Bible calls little foxes that spoil the vines, they come into our lives. Things like cursing the driver who cuts in front of you when, you, when you're driving along and it really irritates you. Or that little white lie you told, you know, because you didn't want to hurt someone's feelings. Or like gossiping about somebody without thinking, you know. Just say, I'm, I'm really concerned about, Rich, I'm really concerned about Claude, you know. I've been, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, tell me more. And then I tell him a little bit more. It's gossiping. Or like committing some time to prayer and you never seem to get around to it. And uh, you, you, you start beating yourself up. And, you know, and the, and the pastor keeps calling us to church meeting after church meeting and it's prayer meeting and it's midweek meetings and it's and and, and i know i should be there because the bible tells me that we must not forsake gatherings but i'm struggling this seems to be very true a lot of the time for lots of christians and in these days it seems easier and easier for us to settle we like to settle into this what i call the security of the soul it's like a, a comfort zone it's the natural Rather than we want to walk in the supernatural, in the freedom of the Spirit. We want to walk in the light. And it shouldn't be like that. Because God is calling us to a higher level of commitment. Much higher level of commitment. Can you agree with me on that? I mean, do you feel it in your spirits that, that God is calling us to something more? Higher and higher. And we are... We are calling to, being called to something higher and higher. And to do that, we find ourselves getting lower and lower in terms of our own lives. John the Baptist was one of these guys who understood this. And his disciples were, were disturbed because people were flocking to Jesus instead of to him. And when they brought the story to him, John in, in uh, John 3 John the Baptist in John 3, verse 29 and 30, he just said, this joy of mine is now complete. That's all he had to say. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, John knew who Jesus was. He, he was conscious of the presence of holiness when he met with Jesus. When he, Jesus came to him in the, in the Jordan and he was about to baptize him, you can imagine he's baptizing guys, one after the other, one after the other, and suddenly Jesus comes in and he stops and he says, but I must be baptized by you. He's in the presence of holiness. He's suddenly aware of it. It didn't upset him that Jesus was getting all the people. It filled him with joy. 
And Peter was also like that. That day when he went fishing and he witnessed that great miracle. And, and there he is. He's catching these fish and everyone's laughing around him. And suddenly he's aware of the holiness of Christ before him. And he, in Luke 5 verse 8 he says, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And beloved, as we become more, of God, more aware of God's great majesty, we become more aware of our great sinfulness. That's what John Newton, the, the hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace, said. He said, I know that I am a great sinner, but I know that Jesus is a great Savior. You see, and, and God's grace becomes even more amazing to us at times like that. But the problem is many Christians struggle to take hold of the reality that in the spiritual sense you are now new creations. The Bible tells us our sin has been taken away. It's been taken away by Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to us. It's already happened. That's what the Bible says. It has happened. We've become, as it were, we have become the righteousness of Christ. But because our transformation is also happening, it has happened, but it's happening, and it will happen. That's the mystery of our salvation. We are saved, we have been saved, and we are being saved. And so that can become very confusing for a lot of Christians. Even Martin Luther struggled with this, the father of the Reformation. And the story goes there, I'll read it to you. It's before his break with the Catholic Church. He went to confession every day. And he was so guilt-ridden by his sins, he would almost have gone every hour. On most nights, Luther slept well, but he even felt guilty about that. He was thinking, here I am, sinful as I am, having a good night's sleep. And he would confess that. And one day the older priest to whom Luther went for confession said to him, Martin, either find a new sin and commit it or quit coming to see me. <laughs> but you see, this is what we know in our heads. In our heads, we are new creations in Christ. The Bible tells us that. We declare it at every opportunity in our words, in our actions. We take up our spiritual crosses. We die to ourselves and we bury our old nature in a tomb. We are buried with Christ, as Paul would say. But you know what? Really knowing it and believing it in our hearts so that it becomes a natural part of our lives every day is another story. Remember the day when you got saved? Remember it well, eh? So we asked Jesus into our hearts. And in the beginning, everything seemed, seems different. You know, his word comes alive in us. His presence seems to be everywhere we look. And then life happens. We get fired from a job. Or your car breaks down, it's going to cost you a fortune. Or you go through a really rough divorce mangles your self-worth. You don't know if you can ever trust anybody ever again. Or you struggle with temptation and it leads to addiction. And an unkind comment 
brings up suppressed bitterness in you somewhere and you have a long-term struggle that you thought would vanish when you came to Christ, but this thing keeps rearing its head. Does this apply to anybody here this morning? Just one or two of us? But brethren, whatever this issue is for you, if that's you, you begin to walk with a bit of a spiritual limp like Jacob did, you know, in, in a spiritual sense. And so you quickly, the way we normally deal with it is we run a quick self-diagnosis. What's this problem that I've got right now? <coughs> oh, yes, um, I'll quickly go and look for a, a scripture that will help me. I find a quick fix, uh, quick fix verse, and then I pray hard. I, I memorize the verse. I, I, I recite it often, and I really believe it's not going to happen again, and then it does. And again, and again, and again. And maybe you even had people lay hands on you and they interceded for you. And after the 500th time of giving in, it feels like you've got no strength left to fight. And eventually you feel like a hopeless cause. In fact, you're just a weak, ineffective Christian. And you might as well give up all this Christian stuff. Sounds very gloomy, eh? Strikes a chord in most of us. But you see what happens is you feel... Like Merva said on Friday, who was, the, who was there on Friday? Okay, you remember what he said. He said, you feel that God must be disappointed in you. Now, Mervis didn't say God is disappointed in you. In fact, he went on to say that he's not disappointed in you. But you feel like it is. Okay, and, and when he, he said that, it struck a chord in me. And he said, for those of you who are, he really felt that God was speaking to people like that. And he said, those of you feeling like that, stand up. And I stood up. And I didn't look around me. I had my eyes closed. So I don't know who else stood up. Maybe I was the only one. But I felt, I felt like God was disappointed in me. But I know that he isn't. I know it in my head. So why is this the case? When we come to Christ, we believe that we've been died with him. We have died with him. We believe we've been buried with him. So in a spiritual sense, we've been buried in the tomb with him. <coughs> at our new birth, when it's about to happen. But you know what happens then? The stone gets rolled away. And you know what? There is nothing that we had to do to roll that stone away was done for us nothing we are saved by grace through faith not through good works of anything that we could do it's an unconditional gift of God and the reality is that we've conquered spiritual death because of what Jesus has done and Jesus on that day got up I think the the linen shroud fell off him and he walked away into newness of life. And he left the entrance to the tomb open. But instead of us walking away into our new resurrection lives, we somehow don't quite believe that that is what has happened for us. You know, we're not even sure the tomb has been really rolled away. The stone has been really rolled away from the tomb. And and even if we do see that the stone is gone, sometimes we're not sure if we're allowed to walk out, you know. So we, we stand there by this open door and we're not sure. We think, well, is it safe to go out there? 
you know, we had Jesus with us. We've still got the sense of Jesus being with us, but to go out there, oh, and we wait. Hopefully somebody somehow will step forward and lead us out. Maybe the pastor will do it. He'll come and visit us often, and he will lead us out of the tomb. And like those ladies, we ask the question, who's going to roll away the stone for us? Who's going to roll away the stone for us? If we're sick, we want someone else to pray for us instead of praying and believing for healing for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has already done it. The angel told the ladies, he's risen, he's not here. And the Bible says that we are in Christ and he is in us. We are one with him right now. And God rolled away the stone that imprisoned the crucified Christ. Jesus rose in newness of life. Because we are united to Jesus, we too have newness of life. And Paul makes this clear. I said earlier, Romans 6 verse 4. Paul says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. And so the stone has been rolled away and we are free to move out of the, team, the tomb. We just don't believe it quite right now. Not really. And so you know what happens? We wait in our tombs. We wait for Jesus to come and fetch us and snatch us away. We kind, of, we kind of look out, well, maybe Jesus will come back for us. And we peer out the, the, the opening to the tomb into the scary, unknown life out there. And we're nervous of what lies for us. We're unsure of our abilities. We're unsure of our authority in spite of the commission which Jesus gave to every single one of us. Go out into the world. Make disciples of all nations. So what is this tomb that's so hard for us to leave? Well, there are lots of them. And the root of them all is unbelief. Lack of faith for finances or your health, poor self-esteem, uh, lack of discipline or procrastination or addictions, fear, anxiety, laziness, lying, stealing, holding on to grudges and grievances. These are all tombs, beloved. They're tombs. And we love to hang around in these tombs. I know that's a tough word. But Christians, we, we've got to get hold of this. You see, unbelievers are separated from fellowship with God because of their sin. Like Adam and Eve after their sin, an unbeliever has got no fellowship with God. It doesn't mean he's unaware of the existence of God because the Bible tells us that God's placed eternity in the hearts of all men. And so everyone is aware of something else beyond themselves. And they might want to call it uh, whatever the modern uh, secular world wants to call it. But we're all conscious of God in some way. But it does mean that the unbeliever doesn't have a personal relationship with a loving father. These people do not have fellowship with him. They don't know him. And brothers and sisters, if they die before they come to know him, they'll never know him. 
That's the sad thing. But when someone gets saved, they're born again. They become new creations. Their spirits are reborn. They come to life. They discover God as Father and Jesus Christ as Savior. And we have fellowship with him and our relationship is restored. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that everything is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything that we enjoy, everything that we ever shall be, is because of our relationship to him. We are in him. He is in us. We are parts of him, and we are sharers, therefore, of all that he is. All that he's done, he's done for us as our representative. Therefore, all that belongs to him belongs also to us. And by his sanctification of himself, he has made our sanctification possible. And this process begins when we walk out of the tomb with Jesus. So the message for today is don't hang around in the tomb without Jesus. He's left. He's risen. There's, there's a few simple truths that we've got to recognize, though, because I might be painting a picture that it's easy just to walk into this thing. It's not that easy. You see, the promises that are in Scripture are not instantly automatic for us as believers. There's no magic wand. The, the, what the scripture says is true, legally, and valid. But these things don't just happen. They have, to be, they have to be appropriated. They have to be taken hold of on a day-by-day basis and worked through in our lives. And it may take quite a long time. I've been saved for nearly 40 years, and it's, I'm still going through it. I'm still re- recognizing that the promises in scripture are becoming a reality in my life. But secondly, freedom is also not an instant automatic reality just because you've been saved. So you can, you can walk around as a Christian and you can tell everyone you're blessed and you're victorious and, and that you are free. Inside, you're not really. Um, you see, if you're still struggling with issues inside, positive speech alone isn't going to set you free. So this is another time thing. And then, of course, God's love and his grace, we know are unconditional. They, they're given with no strings attached. But his benefits and the fruit of our salvation is not. That takes time. It's a process. It's a journey. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's a present continuous term. So here's what I want to suggest you do as I close. As newborn Christians, start off on the milk of God's word. And you might be sitting here today and you've been saved for 40 years and you're still in the milk. You might be. And that can happen and I've seen that happen. But the milk of God's word is the basics of our faith, the fundamental foundations of our faith. Get into those. Study them. Find out about who is God, who is man, who is Jesus, what is sin, what is the atonement, what is salvation. Find out what is, who's the Holy Spirit, what is the Christian life, what is the church about. Find out all these things. The, the 412 Global website has a great resource on it called T3. Get hold of it, get into it, study it. It's quite long, but it, it, it's, it's good stuff, good, solid, biblical foundations. 
But then, when you're finished with that, progress onto solid food. Commit yourself to a process of regular study, preferably with others. And I'm not saying you mustn't study on your own, but get together with others. Not great big groups. Three, four, five people. People that you have grown to love and trust. People who you have a good relationship with. Work through the word in this way. Get to the tougher, chewier bits. Because when you do that, it will begin to expose those those areas in your life that need some holiness work. So you allow the word of God to prompt the changes you need to make and you become accountable to other people. That's where the changes, you'll start to see changes happen in your life. In this church, um, Richard and I began meeting together about four or five years ago. And we just share scripture. We talk about what God's done in our lives. And we talk about the scripture, about how these things have worked its way out and into our lives. And I can tell you without any hesitation that I've learned and grown more in those five years in fellowship and wrestling through the word than the rest of my life. And then... The third point is just exercise it. Exercise God's word. Put it to work. James says in James 1.22, Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James goes on to say, When you are an effectual doer, you become blessed in what you do. It's not a quick fix because the, work, the, the word works slowly in our lives. It's like yeast in the dough. But as we exercise it little by little, we see greater blessing. So we must continue in his word. The stone has been rolled away for us. Jesus said in John 8 verse 31, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay? The starting place for our freedom lies in realizing that when the stone the stone was rolled away from Jesus' tomb. It was rolled away for us as well. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. And we can only do that if we believe that we've been crucified to self. And through Jesus' atoning death, we're able to walk out of the tomb into a resurrected life, a new life in him. And brethren, this is not a this is not about having a checklist of things to do. You know, well, today, Monday, I must do the following, and Tuesday, I must do the following, and I must say so many uh, verses of Scripture, and I must memorize so many things. You see, it's more about an attitude of your heart because God does not weigh your actions but the motives of your heart. So determine to do that. Jesus said in John 11, verse 25 and 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So his death means no death for us. His resurrection means our res resurrection. Yesterday I was reading, I think it was yesterday, Oswald Chambers said this. He said, when our Lord rose from the dead... He rose to an absolutely new life, to a life he did not live before he was incarnate. He rose to a life 
that had never been before. And his resurrection means for us that we are raised to his risen life and not to our old life. Your old life is in the tomb. Leave it there. Walk away from it. So on this Resurrection Sunday, you may have come to realize that these words apply to you sitting here. And you might have been struggling as a Christian with some unresolved issues of your past, which really means you're still hanging around the tomb. Or you might be that you've never actually come to a place of dying to self and being buried with Jesus. You haven't even got to the tomb yet. And you don't know him as your Lord and your Savior. So if I'm speaking to anyone like that this morning, now's your time to make a, a fresh commitment or a new commitment. So why don't you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that indeed Jesus has risen. He's no longer in a tomb. We thank you, Lord, that when that stone was rolled away and set Jesus free, it was rolled away for us as well. Our old lives are left behind, and we walk out into a newness of life. Thank you, Lord, that we can say those things. I pray for every person here this morning that, Lord, we will be able to take hold of those words and make them a reality in our everyday lives. That we wouldn't constantly be going back and hankering after the tomb life. Instead, Lord, we want to look forward to the new life which you have given us. Yeah. And I ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.